All right, peeps, on today's episode of The Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of Yip Man using his Grandmaster card, lots of, hey, Joey Chen, that fat man, he's Samo Hung, and he'll always be way more awesome than you. Let's get to it. <laughs> And every day, I practice martial arts. Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Sifu. How are you? Good, good. Doing good. So here we are in our kind of new-ish setup, right? Yeah. We, uh, uh, As we talked about in the last episode, we are going through some renovations, some changes here at City Wing Chun. So we thought one of the things we could do is kind of change the... Switch it up on the Podcast setting a little bit, Flip, right? Like a yeah. flapjack. Exactly, like a flapjack, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So now we're on the underside of the flapjack. What kind of spatula is, do you use when you flip This is the flapjacks. uncooked side of the flapjack. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah. I used to go to Spatula City for all of my spatula wow, needs. Wow, that is um, a fire spot, by the way. It if is you a have fire not spot. been to Spatula City. Spatula people, City. Spatula City is the city to be at. Okay? <laughs> no, I've do you, do you actually, do you actually know, city. Do you actually know what Spatula City is? Yeah. I've been okay. there. T tell me. <laughs> no, I don't know. What is that? What, what, is this some code for? It's uh, no. It's a reference uh, to... to a 1980s Weird Al Yankovic movie called UHF. Uh, what? Yeah, like Wheel That's of a Fish. Thing? Yes, like Wheel of Fish. You're so stupid. You never saw that before. UHF, I've never seen. UHF oh is amazing. UHF all right? is incredible. UHF is incredible. So he Spatula basically. City. Do you remember back in thing. the day, be like regular TVs? I'm talking like in the 80s mm -hmm. and, and before then. You had yeah, yeah, the v TV with like. You had VHS, VHF, VHF, VHS. You had VHF and UHF. Right? Yes. VHF were like the real channels, like mm. NBC and all mm. that stuff. UHF were like oh, fringy, true. like true. kind of uh, public access uh -huh. kind of things, right? So, you know, spoiler alert for like a nearly 30-year-old movie. Basically, Weird Al Yankovic's character inherits a UHF station. And then so he decides to do all the programming and okay. then he makes it like this big thing. And um, one of the things, one of like the running bits in the movie is like mm -hmm. there are a lot of these like commercials that you know because he needs to run commercials to get paid right and one of the commercials was for spatula city and it's just <laughs> a store that sells nothing but spatulas and That's during great. the commercial everyone is like so super enthusiastic about, about spatulas <laughs> what i gotta and, like see bring this. the whole family and the kids are so excited like yeah, yeah we'll go to spatula city it's like ridiculous <laughs> so that's uh I uh, have th to that, see that's it. That's what I get. You need to see UHF. I have to see it. All right. So here we are. So we're here for another AMA. Yes, we are. Let's go ahead. What you got for me? Today, we have TK to start it off. TK. Uh-huh. Great episode, KFG80. KFG80. Like how they're throwing in the actual number of the episode. Yeah, because oftentimes when they have that comment, that yeah. was like, great episode, and... We never know what episode they're talking about because yeah. we don't get to the question until like 13 episodes later. <laughs> and we, we just scan them off of the comments so yeah. we don't actually like look at what video they were watching Man. when they posted. 80, yeah. 80, 80. Was, was... Obvious was question. Do we know what did Yip Man do to gain respect of the other Kung Fu masters in early days of Hong Kong before the challenge fights 
and become quite well known when in China. Thanks. Or I should uh, say Hong Kong or China. Same, it's the same thing. Same now. shit. We love China. <laughs> we do. Thank you, China, for everything you give us. Thank you for doing great work in Hong Kong. Th- thank you, China. Okay, so anyway, uh, how did Grandmaster Yip Man get uh, all get this respect name. in Hong Kong? Get well, his... I think one of the issues is, especially for Westerners, mm-hmm. because we, many of us, have grown up watching kung fu movies. Yeah. So many of our ideas about um, the Chinese martial arts field or industry or scene mm-hmm. gets heavily influenced by years of watching these kind of movies, uh, even if we don't want to admit it openly. So there's this idea that, you know, Grandmaster Yip Man comes to Hong Kong in 1949, Mm -hmm. uh, unknown to Hong Kong, and the style that he taught Wing Chun was also not really known. There was some Wing Chun in Hong Kong. I believe there was one student of Yun Kei San already in Hong Kong, but from what I understood, was teaching in a very low... case. Yeah, teaching in a very low-profile kind of way. So in other words, it's not like there was a huge Yun on school in Central in Hong Kong, and then Yip Man comes as the upstart. It's like uh, most of <laughs> Challenges the, the school. Most like, of the martial yeah. arts schools, and again, even to this day, but even back then, they're not these big commercial enterprises that we think. So I think it's really important for... Western martial artists, uh, even those, let's say, for example, who learn Wing Chun in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Because even the idea of a European Wing Chun school is very different from what it was like in Hong Kong. Wing Chun is very big in Europe, but like many other styles, you can find an actual brick-and-mortar Wing Chun school in many towns in Europe, especially Germany. Well, that wasn't really the case in Hong Kong at any point in its history. Um, there are bigger commercial schools in Hong Kong that teach Chinese Kung Fu. Okay. But they're kind of few and far between. Most of the Kung Fu schools were, they weren't really schools like this, like that you could go where they have a sign board and you sign up or whatever. There's a receptionist or something like that. Uh, the Sifu just taught somewhere. Oh. And sometimes the Sifu taught in the park. Sometimes the Sifu, like in Yip Man's case, taught at the restaurant union. Uh, sometimes the Sifu would teach... Uh, at a temple or a, a, a community center or something like or that. ballet right? school. Something. Yeah. So the idea that like 1949 or 1950 Hong Kong was populated by a bunch of martial arts schools on every corner with big signboards is not really the vision one should have. All okay. right. Uh, because uh, Chinese martial arts schools usually were kind of semi-private and they were usually not in their own location. Oftentimes the seafood taught from their own home. So uh, there's this idea that, you know, from the movies, from the Yip Man movies, especially Yip Man 2, when Yip Man comes to uh, Hong Kong and then, you know, he's going to teach or he started teaching, but he needs to be accepted into the martial arts scene so they invite him and it's a bunch of like super judgmental sifus like Sammo <laughs> Hung is there and my, my good friend Lo right. Mong is there and the late Fung Hak On are there and it's like they're they're almost like a uh, a, a tribunal of martial art masters that have to accept this new guy into their community right wow. and there's also it's pretty and, intense and, and that also has kind of 
shades and shadows of Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Yeah. You know, when he's teaching Westerners and he can't do that, so he's got to go to the tribunal. Yeah. All right? And they have to determine whether he can do And if he can beat this guy, this jerry-curled Wong Jack man, uh, who's not named Wong Jack man, uh, uh, then he has oh, won no. the right to break thousands of years of tradition. I think his name was Jerry in the movie. He could be. Uh, and uh, and but, then, Jerry, but then man. you even see it a little bit in Yip Man 4, uh, where Yip Man comes to the US, all right? Yeah, totally accurate. Yeah, and he man, I wish and, I was and, around. And, and there is another group of gossipy Sifus there in San Francisco that are angry with Yip yeah. Man because his student Bruce Lee is teaching westerners or he's criticizing chinese martial arts yeah right and then yip man, man is like oh no this is totally fine uh, he's you know, yeah. this kind of open attitude is it totally must fine, which is also kind of bullshit. for him to go through that and especially yep. in the city of <laughs> exactly. san francisco but see the problem is that there's this idea even if we don't want to admit it mm-hmm. that somehow opening a martial arts school in hong kong was determined by committee all right. And uh, it wasn't because most Chinese Kung Fu Sifus generally show other Sifu's face. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is Sifu so-and-so from this style. This guy's a good Tai Chi Sifu. This guy's a good whatever Sifu. And they show each other face. But l- most Chinese Kung Fu Sifus That's just the culture thing. still think yeah. their style is the best and oh, fuck okay. the rest. <laughs> so this idea that they're all going to kind of sit there... And in a very objective way, what view his skills or have a challenge match or, or based on how good the guy fights, they're going to allow him to teach. I mean, this is, this is a bunch of bullshit, all right? Mm. This is a bunch of bullshit, all right? You have some skills. Uh, you've learned a style. You're qualified as an instructor. You open a school. And if someone wants to see if you're any good, then they, they come and they challenge you. Or they fight one of your top student fights their top student or whatever. But this idea that there's almost like a committee and you have to get accepted by this committee to teach. I mean, this is this is a bunch of shit that's from films. Okay. And not just Western films like Dragon the Bruce Lee or even Hong Kong films like Yip Man 2 and Yip Man 4. All right. Uh, it gives people the impression that Chinese martial arts were a lot more organized than they were. And they weren't. All right. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, there was no martial arts organization for all Chinese martial arts collectively in Hong Kong until 1967, um, mm. which would be 17 years after Yip Man started teaching. And okay. they didn't form that because they wanted to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. They formed that because around 1966, um, the Hong Kong government changed the laws about how Chinese martial arts schools were allowed to register. Um, Because previously, Chinese martial arts schools uh, were just... A business, No, not not even. They wouldn't even register as a business. Oh, they were making money on the table. So when Yip Man was teaching in 1950, 1951, the early restaurant union, do you think that he had the (laughs) the 1950 Hong Kong equivalent of an LLC or an S-Corp? True. No. No. Okay. All right. Do you think Grandmaster Yip Man was reporting his monthly income and then having business expenses and, Uh. and, you know, uh, putting uh, new training equipment for the school on the uh, on the Yip 
Man, Wing Chun, Amex. All right? No. No. Okay? No. Uh, no. This is just take cash. Yeah. These were not even legitimate businesses. The thing is that um, no martial arts schools were registered as businesses. Mm. Uh, they were just, Sifus were just taking the money under the table. Now, it wasn't so much that the Hong Kong government was like, oh, man, we're missing out on so much tax revenue from all of these Sifus. Because I think the Hong Kong government knew that none of these Sifus were really making any money. Yeah. Um, I mean, Yip Man, even at the height of his career, was, was never really pulling in any money. Through most of the time in the 50s when he was teaching, I mean, he was just sleeping on a straw mat on the floor. I mean, he wasn't, he, he never really lived that comfortably. He lived a little more comfortably in the mid-60s mm. and on. And because he had some students who were supporting him. But he didn't really live a comfortable life in the 50s. Um, Damn. But in about the mid-60s, Hong Kong changed the law because so many Chinese martial arts schools had connections to triad societies and organized crime. In fact, many triad members also trained martial arts. And there were some styles in particular that attracted more uh, gangsters than others. Obviously, Wing Chun was a style that was very attractive to certain hoodlums. Okay. Although Yip Man himself didn't really seem to have trained a lot of triad members yeah but some of yipman's students did, did. oh all right uh oh. and uh there were other styles of kung fu that were very well known for training uh gangsters well one was dai sing pekwar which is a monkey kung fu style a lot of and it wasn't that a bunch of gangsters were doing monkey kung fu what people <laughs> don't realize is dai sing pekwar is a combination of two styles okay. pekwar which is axe fist more or less and then the monkey. But the monkey stuff is considered very advanced and you don't learn monkey right away. You have to like earn it. It's equivalent to like in Wing Chun learning the weapons what? or learning like the advanced parts of the dummy. This is all news um, to me. Yeah, you don't start with the monkey because the monkey is very difficult. Well, you start with the axe fist. You start with the axe fist. So it's, it's, it's very similar to Choi Lei Fat. Wow. And so there were a lot of gangsters that did uh, Dai Sing Pekwar. And uh, some gangsters did Wing Chun. And a lot of them did Bak Mei, White Eyebrow, which is really interesting because Bak Mei historically yeah. is considered kind of a bad he's guy, the, right? He's the OG. Yeah, he's like an OG, he's like a Shaolin bad guy, right? <laughs> uh, and then so it makes sense that those guys would, would practice that style. Mm -hmm. So much I heard a rumor, there's another style called Yao Kung Moon. Yao Kung Moon uh, is, I, from what I've heard, it's essentially identical to White Eyebrow. <sighs> But they changed the name because the Yao Kung Moon people did not want to be associated with the triads and the Bak Mei name. So, uh, so anyway, at some point in the mid-60s, the Hong Kong government slowly starts to decide they want to fight graft and uh, uh, corruption in all levels of Hong Kong society. Uh, and one of the first things they did was they said that all Chinese martial arts schools have to register as an official business. They say to register as an association or a society, mm -hmm. but that actually means to register as a business. Okay, that, that's what it's saying. Because when we hear these words, it's a little um, influenced by Chinese culture and also British English. Yeah. Like to register as a society or an association. It just means to be okay. a business, right? And so uh, that's when Yip Man had to form the Wing Chun Athletic Association, the V-I-N-G-T-S-U-N, the Athletic Association. Mm -hmm. That was around 66 because that was required by law. That's so a that dope was, year too. Yeah. And, uh, I remember 66. Around that time, they also formed the Hong Kong Chinese Martial Arts Association, which was a collective association of different sifus of different styles. There mm -hmm. were eight original founders. 
um, Quanta Keng was one of the original uh, members who helped to found it. So was Tang San. Mm -hmm. uh, so was uh, my good friend uh, Long Kai Meng. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I Liu Qi Cheng, like Liu Qi Cheng, sorry. Uh, there are a few people that I met that are not around anymore who, uh -huh. who are there. Most of the guys have all locked chief, all these guys have passed away so Jeez. super long time ago. And these were all the OGs of all the big styles at that time. Uh, White Crane and uh, Wait, which Northern one was the OG Shelly. of White Crane? Lok Chifu. Lok Chifu. Lok Chifu. But not white, not the white crane that's related to Wing Chun. This is the, the northern white crane. There are two uh, different white crane. Just like there are two different mantises. What about white eyebrow? Who's the... the well, I don't know if they had a white OG. eyebrow guy on, uh, on the board. Because there's more styles than eight in Hong Kong. But oh, uh, uh, Liu Chi Kang was a Yao Gong Moon guy. And Yao Gong Moon is essentially Yao white Gong eyebrow. Right? Yeah. So... Um, so anyway, that was the first time when they kind of formed an association where they could like uh, look at Chinese martial arts collectively. So in the eyes, so the idea that this was around in the fifties and people had to, and and they were they were just there to collect fees and to to have banquets and stuff like that. They weren't there to approve people's ability to teach Chinese okay. martial arts or whatever. Okay. So I, I think that whole idea that a sifu had to be accepted in the society or whatever to be able to teach, I think is a little overblown and it's a little um, uh, influenced by films. So I'm assuming these banquets, they would do demonstrations, like they would yeah. demonstrate their arts. Yeah, have, you okay. never, have I never taken you to a Chinese martial arts banquet in Hong Kong? No, I okay. can't say. So I, I, will, I will tell you now every single Chinese martial arts banquet you could ever possibly go to. Yeah. Okay, it's at a chi Chinese, banquet hall so basically a big dim sum place yeah and they usually partition off a room there's usually a small stage and then you have multiple tables all right uh-huh and uh the banquet is to honor the birthday of a famous sifu or the grand opening of a new school or the 20 year anniversary of this guy or whatever right there's always these reasons and chinese sifus like to have these banquets because you know, in the days before social media, this was your social proof, right? How wow. many different sifus of different styles would come to your banquet, right? What? So that's why it wasn't just like if you were a Choi Le Fat person, you only invited Choi Le Fat people. You would invite all the people from the different styles because that was basically like saying like, look, all of these martial artists from these different styles accept me, mm -hmm. right? So that was your social proof. How many different sifus would end up showing there? And then what you would do is for the more prominent sifus, you would ask them if they could demonstrate during the banquet. So basically you go Sick. to basically you go to a Chinese banquet. It's like maybe nine, nine course meal that comes out to you. And you get the first soup comes out, you go like this, a sifu's up there saying, Oh, welcome everyone, thank you for coming, blah, 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 blah. Maybe a student comes, says a few words, the second course comes out. Ah, Sifu so and so from that school is going to demonstrate the uh, you know, Muifakun, the, the plum flower fist or whatever, right? And then he goes out there <laughs> okay. and then you're eating. And then the Sifu demonstrates the form, and usually they'll have drummers there. They'll have the drumming, and you'll do yeah. the form. It's super cool, and you're like, yeah, awesome, right? Yeah, and then he goes there, and then you keep eating, right? Yeah. And then, ah, oh, Sifu so-and-so is going to demonstrate the spear form. Oh, okay, cool. And then you're eating, and then, ah, oh, he does the spear form. Oh, you're clapping, and you keep eating, right? And then, and then, and then you say, oh, the next one is going to come, and he's going to demonstrate the double broadsword form. And then, ah! <laughs> and he's like this, right? And then the 30th Sifu comes and demonstrates yeah. their form. Mm. And you're just like stuffing your face and you're like, oh no. Damn. All right. And it's like it goes way too long. 
There are way too many forms demonstrations. Yeah. And uh, it, it just gets kind of repetitive. Mm. Um, and they've, they've been that way since time began. All right. 66. And no, no, no. Since Sivu started having banquets, that was the setup. Ah, okay. And the story was um, Sivu Langting told this story that in the early 70s, a uh, Gramercy man received an invitation to a Charlie Fat banquet. All right. So some famous Charlie Fat Sifu was having a banquet and wanted Yip Man to be there or whatever, right? And uh, um, he's, and Yip Man was on, I guess he lived on the 11th floor, I think his apartment on Tong Choi Street was like the, either 9th or 11th floor, I don't yeah. remember. And then Lang Teng said that, uh, that uh, Yip Man just took the invitation and threw it out the window. <laughs> Which I just thought was so gangster. Yo. And it wasn't that he didn't respect the Charlie Fudd people, it's just he, Pardon my French. It's like it's like oh god, another one of these yeah. things. Oh man, you know what I mean? Because you're really there to kind of prop up the person who invited you, uh, and and so uh, and also they usually want you to demonstrate. And Yip Man wasn't someone he didn't publicly dem. He's like I'm because the idea in Wing Chun is our style is not really for public demonstration. Our forms are kind of dry. They're they're for practice. They're not for entertainment mm -hmm. so uh it doesn't really make for good viewing and also wing chun people in general the more traditional ones and when i say wing chun people i'm not talking about clowns like me on instagram i'm talking about like <laughs> the more traditional wing chun people uh they don't like to perform publicly like that because it, it they it feels like it reduces them to the level of a street performer mm -hmm. and and many traditional wing chun sifus just don't feel that that's like a very dignified way to promote your art so uh and Leung Teng said something really similar to me once too because i also you know would get invited from time to time to those kind of things here yeah and uh, i remember i had gotten an invitation to a banquet while sifu Leung Teng was in town yeah and I showed it to him. I was kind of proud because, you know, I was a very junior instructor. And I was like, wow, people invited me to a, to a banquet or whatever. And then Larry Tang was like, you know, they just want to use your name. All right. Uh, because you have a big Wing Chun school. That's the reason why they invite you there. And they're going to ask you to demonstrate. Because that's how these things are. They're going to say, do the Chum Q or BUG or do some cheese hour, or do something like that. Right. He goes, don't do it. Ooh. All right. And I was like. I was like, oh, why? I have no problem demonstrating. He says, no, you only do a demonstration when you're the main attraction. If you are not the main attraction, don't waste your time. All right. And, and I remember when he said that it was, wow. but even to this day, I think that, the, you know, there, were, there was a lot of advice that he gave me that uh, was maybe outdated or not the best or not super relevant. But that piece of advice always stuck with me. Because um, he's totally right. Because the thing is, like when I just told you what going to one of those banquets is like, when another Sivu or another group of students comes out to demonstrate a form, the first three or four are from the school that is hosting the banquet. But all the rest of them are from the visiting Sifus. So mm -hmm. after a while, it, like the seventh broadsword form you've watched in the same night, you're mm. just kind of like, uh, you know what I mean? So the thing is, it, lose, it's, it makes sense. It's like if you're going to do a demonstration, you do something really good, and you make sure you're the main attraction, and that's it. Mm -hmm. That way people remember you and you stand out. Otherwise, you just literally become one thing in just a program of just forgettable moments. Wow. Right? 
So uh, I always thought that was really great. And I, and I can imagine that that attitude that Sifu Langting had about the banquets makes sense when, you know, he also tells a story about Yip Man just throwing the invitation out there, right? That the Wing Chun people are really like, yo, F this. Look at it go up there and perform for you. Like, like, like Not some your kind monkey? Of, yeah, street performer or something like that, right? So, so again, to kind of circle back to the question, uh-huh. I think that the idea of like a cohesive Chinese martial arts community, mm-hmm. especially in 1949, 1950, is a bit overblown. Um, secondly, uh, when Yip Man's own students started to go and test themselves against the other styles and, and did well, that was essentially what started to build the reputation for Wing Chun. And it wasn't necessarily by design. It was just, that's just how it ended so up So it was happening. like, hey, meet me on a roof. Yeah, and these demonstrate- were young guys who were like, they wanted to test themselves out. And mm-hmm. then Wing Chun did very well against the other styles. And so that's how it started to build the reputation, right? And then, of course, later, uh, you know, shortly after that, you had people like Wong Sun Leung and William Chang and these other guys <laughs> who really went out there and, and really beat up these other guys, right? Oh, so, wow. So that forged a reputation and that was all within let's say the first 10 years of Wing Chun uh, being established in Hong Kong and then yeah after that there were some challenge fights and, and this that and other thing but I mean the, the real power time of Wing Chun kind of testing itself and proving itself against the other styles was that first decade mm. um, and so that's kind of how it was formed but it wasn't because of any kind of committee or these things are much more accidents of fate than than Cool. Designed the, the the way people think they might be. Hmm. Cool. I think your man designed that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Strategy. Spent no time designing you anything. You go challenge them. He didn't even have a logo or a business. Come on. Man. Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for KFG fans. Right now, you can get an all-access, one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to WCINewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner. Fill out your email and password and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to all the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues. Even the one with this cool guy on the cover. That's me for those of you listening to us on audio. My Kung Fu Genius column is also in all the new issues as if you needed another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And now back to me. All right. Cool. Great question, TK. Next up, we got John Day. All day, baby. All day, John Day. All day, John Day. Yes. To listener HK Tours. Yes, that's right. So uh, I assume there's more to the question. Yep. Uh, do nunchucks make sense as a weapon a Wing Chun practitioner would pick up? Okay, well, let me first talk about the Hong Kong tours thing. Yeah. So I, uh, I mentioned a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. which is funny to say that because last episode we recorded a week ago. And the episode previous to that, we had recorded six weeks prior to that, right? So when I say like a few episodes ago, it's like we recorded that months ago. Months. Uh, I talk about this yearly Hong Kong trip that I have uh, Mm -hmm. with our own students here. Now, we haven't done it basically since the pandemic uh, for obvious reasons. sucks. Um, But basically once a year, uh, I usually set up a trip for our students to go to Hong Kong. It's usually a handful of us, about let's say five to ten students. And uh, we go to Hong Kong and basically you get what I would consider 
one of the best tours you could possibly get of Hong Kong, especially yeah. for Chinese martial arts. So every morning we get up, we do some training in the park because we usually stay somewhere, stay somewhere near Kowloon Park. Mm -hmm. So we'll do some training in the morning and then we'll go have our breakfast and then we'll go and basically do some kind of Kung Fu stuff that day, whether it's visiting, Pretty lit. Vi visiting, uh, uh, you know, a place where, uh, Grandmaster Yip Man taught or yeah. visiting some students of Yip Man or some famous Wing Chun people or Kung Fu people or going to Yip Man's grave or doing Bruce Lee stuff or whatever. And then make uh, fun of expats. Yes. Make fun of weird, gross <laughs> British expats in Hong Kong. And nothing, nothing like going to a club in Hong Kong and seeing some, <laughs> some of the finest to ever come yeah. out of your area. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> I see yes. those expats getting they're so excited when when they're trying to when they're trying to hang out at the club. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Would you like to dance with me? Mm. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, like, well, hello. I hope uh, that was you know, I hope rather don't mind, but um, would you? Would I have the pleasure of this dance, please? <laughs> yeah, no, they're not quite that slick. There's some of them, they have real Austin Power style teeth. So um, we love, love expats it. in Hong Kong, by they're, they're my So anyway, every, so yeah. every day we do like, you know, we do training, we do Kung Fu stuff, we do tourism stuff. And I bring the, the students everywhere and introduce them to all sorts of different people. And, you know, like I said, movie stuff, Hong Kong stuff collectibles also it's really fun right and uh you you've been to hong kong with me so you know i, I know hong kong like better than than many new york Jesus. neighborhoods right so um i we did mention that maybe we now because we have the platform of the podcast maybe if some podcast uh listeners would be interested in coming to hong kong with mm -hmm. the kung fu genius and you know doing this grand kind of kung fu tour this can be something that I can offer so we can have a, a, a package for the tour and then we can figure out how accommodations and you stuff know, like that No, visiting Yip Man's burial was really cool for me. Yeah, going to the, uh, yeah, going to the was, cemetery. That was something yeah, special. Yeah, yeah I, love, I love bringing students there. because Yeah, really, we, we cleaned it up. Yeah, we yeah. did. There's a broom up there. Yeah, we yeah, cleaned it. Broom, yeah, you feel yeah. like yeah, you're cleaning. Yeah, it was cool. You, know, you got to respect the old man, right? The room is day. right there waiting, but yeah. we needed to clean. It was pretty yeah. like a lot of leaves and stuff. Yeah, so... Yeah, so anyway, so I'm looking, uh, I think maybe for 2023, mm -hmm. uh, provided that there's no like extensive quarantine waiting times in Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, true, um, true. Because right now they still, they still have like a, th I think the current, and uh, Hong Kong is cha changes this stuff week to week. So by the time this episode comes out, this is for sure out of date information. But I think they have something like a three plus two mm. policy which is like you have to stay quarantined in a hotel for three days. And then after that, you have to, you can go back to your house or your hotel that you're going to stay at, but you can't leave that place for two days. Uh, yeah. It's like very, very strange, right? I think but, once they start calling this uh, coronavirus the actual flu, then it might, might switch up a little. Ah, uh, so I have no idea. <laughs> but, but anyway, if by next summer mm -hmm. they have relaxed the rules in terms of traveling there, then I think I want to do the first like KFG Hong Kong tour. And then, you know, our, uh, we'll give all the information to our listeners. You know what would be super cool? What would what? be super cool? We'd get a couple of like uh, episodes recorded while we were over oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, like could, kind of... we could totally record episodes Ooh, while we're in Hong Kong. Live from Hong Kong. Yeah. Hong Kong yeah. We could have Maxifu. We could have all sorts of, we could do all sorts of crazy stuff in yeah, Hong Kong. Yeah, we could. No, it would be this, great. That would be super I'll see so if that I can means get... Mikey would have to come with us. Yeah, we need oh, our sound no, guy. twist my arm. Yeah. We need to get Lo Mong from Venoms, you know? Yeah, get him. Get some, 
the Those are Hong Kong movie stars. Oh, yeah, it'd be super interesting. Be sick. Yeah, okay, it's nailed on. We're doing. You know this. who I? You know who I would like they to talk it. to? You know who I'd like to talk to? I'd like to talk to Tony Lau. Tony <sighs> Lau, uh, uh, Lau Wing. Yeah, he's in every single Bruce Lee movie except Game of Death. So to, Tony, if you watch Big Boss, yeah. he's the son of the Big Boss. He's the one that Bruce Lee kills with a punch and then he looks at his hand yeah, like this, right? Yeah. That's Tony Lau. Wow. And then in uh, Fist of Fury, Tony is just one of the students of Jing Wu. He's kind of more of a background character. Mm-hmm. In Way of the Dragon, he's one of the waiters. Yeah. All yeah right? our, our, and in Enter the, the Dragon... He's an obscure waiter. In Enter the Dragon... He, uh, he's one of the tournament guys, and yeah. he gets um, beat up by John Saxon. Remember Jim Kelly sitting there, and they're hustling that guy, Betton? Mm-hmm. Like, that, oh, yeah. that he's going to get him in this round, yeah. but like it's Roper and Williams have this hustle going on. Well, the guy that um, John Saxon is fighting, that's Tony Lau. That and it, he has a bunch of uh, funny Bruce Lee stories. I would like to get him. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm just listening I'm this would be amazing so yeah so anyway uh i would love to do a hong kong tour and then we could do some kfg sick. episodes over there it'd be totally badass be but sick. anyway let's get to the actual question Van so Damme the question well. was are nunchucks a viable weapon for self-defense no for wing chun for wing chun weapon well, 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 a wing chun practitioner would pick up why would no well first of all we only have two weapons so if we're being traditional we only have two weapons so mm. It's, I don't know, it's, it's like a saying, wing, what, what a uh, would a Wing Chun person pick up a, a bullwhip or something like that? Well, Wait, a Wing but, Chun person can pick up whatever they want, but whether this is yeah. part of the art or not is a totally different story. Is there a nunchuck form? No, although I remember back in, uh, back in the day in the 70s and 80s, because yeah. nunchucks were so big after all the Bruce stuff. I mean, even into the 80s, yeah. nunchucks were crazy. Like even when you had the ninja movie... Uh, phase like yeah. they still had to sneak nunchucks into those movies because like you know it's like uh, dudes you got a sword and yeah. blow guns and yeah. throwing stars what are you whacking someone with a rice flail for right because Bruce <laughs> Lee did it and it was cool right yeah. so uh, but I remember even William Chang had an article about like using nunchucks or whatever now obviously that doesn't come from Yip Man or from Wing Chun mm. but you have to imagine that William Chang uh, especially in the 80s such a prominent high-profile Wing Chun guy and even he had to succumb to the pressures of doing an article showing the freaking nunchucks right okay so uh, and this is not a, a so something pressure. that he learned wow. from Yip Man or something yeah. like that right unless unless the nunchuck form was one of the secret traditional Wing Chun forms that he learned from Yip Man I don't know but uh no I I, I don't think that the nunchuck makes any sense mm. all right it's very a cinematic weapon mm-hmm. but the most cinematic stuff about the nunchuck is what you do with it solo if you've yeah. ever and I'm a nunchuck freak alright man I, I grew up in the 80s uh-huh. I had all sorts of homemade pairs of nunchucks and you stuff like that you should do a couple right? of videos on, on no, the IG some nunchucks do any of that alright come on so anyway you know, I, 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 taught, I taught myself you know all the all, yeah. all, all the Bruce moves you know under Ooh. the armpit and smack and yeah. all this kind of stuff right uh-huh. uh, and was super into it uh, but I remember I also had a heavy bag in my basement. <laughs> All right, and uh, so I, I I wanted to actually see Being what it was bag's like ass. Yeah, to 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 be like a scientist, actually okay. hit someone with it, right? And I remember like the first few times I started actually hitting something with the nunchucks. Uh-huh. I was like, ooh. <laughs> if you if if you ever if you ever hold a pair of nunchucks in your hands, uh-huh. all right. And now of course, look if if you flick it at someone 
Mm. Right? That could be really nasty. You flick it in someone's face or something, like that, right? Or you swipe someone across the nose, right? But if you actually take a pair of chucks and you whack it fully broadside into a solid target like a heavy bag, that thing goes flying all over the place because it, it, it's not connected. Yeah. So if you have like this really, really powerful whip and you hit it, that thing goes all over the place afterwards, right? Okay. You don't have this like smooth way of recoiling because the thing like flies all over the place, right? So it's a pretty shitty weapon. It's pretty (laughs) shitty, actually. Yeah, you could whack someone with it. You could hit someone. You could flick it at someone. Um, I would have to say for the amount of skill it requires to wield nunchucks competently, I'm not even gonna say like at a high level, Mm -hmm. your cost-benefit analysis to the amount of time you need to practice with it, to its efficacy and effectiveness as a weapon, Mm. it's not there. Wow. You you could become way better with a way more simpler weapon, uh, simpler, uh, more simply designed weapon, I should say, uh, without all the liabilities that a nunchuck would have. Plus nunchucks are, Oddly enough, illegal in many states. What? They're illegal in New York. All right. Yeah, it's like. Although I, I heard that there was some so some dad out in Long Island who was trying to get that law changed because <laughs> his son got in trouble for practicing or something. And he was like a high-powered lawyer. Yeah. And he was like, I think they might have reversed it in New York. But I always remember when I was a kid, uh, I wanted to order nunchucks. From the uh, yeah, back then you you did everything mail order in the days before the internet. Yeah. So like the 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 magazines would have like the little mail order form you could cut out and yes. then you send it with a check, right? Yeah. And every and I always wanted nunchucks. And every time there's like a real pair of nunchucks, it says uh, not sold to New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And I was like, wow. ah, ouch! I don't know how that is now because I can think of at least one person that we know that bought three nunchucks and was posting videos during the pandemic. Who lived in Astoria at the time? That we know. Yeah. That we know. Yeah, he's 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 my husband. <laughs> Al- you talking about Albert? Yeah, absolutely. Albert posted nunchuck videos. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Doing sure, nunch- sure he used to send some to you. What? No, you got to send these to me ASAP. I'm putting CVs. them all over my gram now. <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. So wait a Nunchucks are pretty useless. Okay. All right. Quick, quick question. Yeah. On that. Quick answer. So. I'm, I'm assuming nunchucks were based on like the mace or something like that, right? That weapon. So I mean, I, with a longer so I'm chain not, handle. This is, no, this is I'm not the How did they I'm come not about? the qualified person. It, it's someone like the who invented Jesse these? Enkamp that uh, who's a huge YouTuber. He's like a big yeah. karate guy. He probably would know the answer to this way, way, way better than I would. From what I understood. Uh, many of the early weapons mm-hmm. uh, in, I, I can't in, see kara- them on a in karate, not talking about uh, G- uh, Chinese martial arts, yeah. were originally farm tools. Uh, okay, like the kama, you yeah. know, which is like a sickle. Obviously, it's like a farm tool. So supposedly, the nunchuck was a rice flail. Like it was like for beating, I don't know, the, the, rice. The, the, the rice out of the stalk or what. I don't know. I'm not the agricultural genius, all right? I don't know, I don't know how rice actually grows. But when I hear rice flail, I assume the rice is in something and you got to beat it so the rice comes out. That's uh, what I assume, right? But uh, they'll go, no, dude, no, idiot dude. doesn't know anything about rice. All right? Okay. Uh, yes, yes. I, I admit I don't know that much about rice, hey, although I love to eat rice. Flail I'm rice. A freaking rice maniac. Uh. So, anyway, so it was originally a rice flail, 
Mm. Okay. Now I'll tell you something interesting I found out through Big Sean, you know, uh, from my, my previous podcast, Dudes of Kung Fu. Mm. The question was always, uh, how did Bruce Lee learn the nunchaku, right? Or, or, and there's a lot of conflicting stories because yeah. nowadays everyone, everyone somehow wants to claim that they taught Bruce Lee something, right? <laughs> so uh, Mito Yuhara, who was the owner of um, Ohara Publications, which is basically the company that published Black Belt Magazine and all, all those right. books. So shout out he, to him. He told, he told John Little, and I think John Little also told this story on this podcast, that um, Bruce was just over at Ohara Publications in the 60s and picked up a book on Nunchuck. I assume it would be the book by, it's either got to be by Fumio Demura or Tadashi Yamashita, although I, Tadashi I, Yamashita. I, th I thought those books came out much later. So don't, don't yell at me at the timeline. Mm. I didn't Google it. If you're trying to call me out on this, you're probably Googling it. You Google All right? Look, this came out exactly on this date, you idiot. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you just Googled it, you moron. Um, so, uh, so the story was that Ohara, uh, at Ohara Publications, there was a book or mm -hmm. maybe an issue of Black Belt Magazine that showed the nunchucks. Wow. And Bruce looked at it and grabbed a pair of nunchucks and basically just like quickly taught himself there. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's just what, what a genius Bruce Lee was. Uh, First of all, Bruce Lee was a genius. Yeah. Second of all, if you give any child 20 <laughs> minutes with a pair of nunchucks, they'll figure it out. All right. Everyone makes a big deal. Like, you know, Sammo Hung learned the nunchucks and he was really good at it. Right. right? Because he, he wanted to imitate it for the films or whatever. Right? And they're like, well, he just picked it up overnight and taught himself how to do it. And everyone's like, well, it's like, who didn't teach themselves nunchucks? Do you, did you yeah. go to a school and go, okay, now put it under your nunchuck armpit school. Right. and create tension and now let it flick out and bring it back. <laughs> All right, now flick out and bring it back. Okay, now give me uh, 10 reps. Uh, Literally everyone taught themselves right. how to use nunchucks, all right? So this idea that someone is like self-taught using the nunchucks <laughs> as being the sign that you are some kind of prodigy of martial arts. Uh, so everyone is self-taught awesome. with the nunchucks. And then what you do is you see some movies and you see some stuff and you, and you go, oh, okay, I can add that spin or I can add this move to my game. But there, there are no like belt levels and programs and progressions to learn how Damn, to use the nunchucks, right? So, uh, so anyway, so one story was that Bruce basically just taught himself by a, a book or a magazine or something that he saw at O'Hara Publications. The other story is, of course, that Dan Inosanto, his student, taught him the nunchucks because Dan Inosanto um, also supposedly taught Bruce Filipino martial arts, which yeah. he, Dan Inosanto being Filipino and having already had some experience in those martial arts, it would make sense where Bruce Lee got some of that Kali stick stuff from, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so again, the assumption was that uh, Dan Inosanto taught Bruce Lee the nunchucks, right? And that's kind of one of those things that uh, cool. is just commonly accepted, all right? But then there's the Mito Yuhara story that it was like, no, actually, Bruce just taught himself. And see, the funny thing is it's, it's like the movie Rashomon, you know, the, the Japanese film where it's one story, but it's told by multiple perspectives. Okay. And that's the problem. You know, one of the things I've learned, even just from the short time of doing this podcast, is uh, people get so bent out of shape when you, let's say, for example, someone says, Bruce Lee learned nunchucks when he went to Yohara Publications. And someone's like, no, 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 it was Dan Inosanto. He's the one who taught him that. And I think what people don't realize is that 
it, it could be both. Like, why, why can't it be both? Right. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, why couldn't he, Bruce have learned some nunchuck stuff it, yeah. and then saw that stuff at Yohara... Yeah. At, at Yohara's place and was like, oh, cool. And then looked at it and picked up a few more moves for his repertoire. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. He saw that first, uh-huh. mentioned it to Dan Asanto, and Dan Asanto was like, hey, I got news for you. Yeah. I know how to use that. Right. And then showed him. Yeah. But the thing is that everyone has a very dichotomous idea. of like, it's either got to be this or it's got to be this. And then you hear one story from one guy, one story from the other guy. So what's the a solu- What's the answer? Someone's got to be lying, bro. Someone's got to be trying to take credit, bro. Right. All right? And there's a kind of a third story uh-huh. that uh, Big Sean told me. And the story was that, so the nunchaku is actually not a Filipino weapon. And it's not a Chinese weapon. It's, it's an Okinawan weapon. Because it, it supposedly is a traditional Okinawan karate weapon. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Jesse Enkamp is probably the guy to ask those kind of questions, right? All right. Uh, but let's just say it's accepted or understood that it's an Okinawan weapon, right? Steve Golden, who was one of Bruce Lee's students in the 60s, and Steve Golden was also um, Big Sean's Jeet Kune Do instructor. And Steve Golden has been in this very room here. Yeah. He taught a seminar here, and I spent time with him. And it was interesting because, you know, he was someone who learned from Bruce Lee in the 60s, and he's also someone who didn't really go out and make a huge name for himself. Um, so it's interesting to hear his Bruce Lee stories because they're not well-known. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't, he's not always there with a camera in his face telling yeah. his five best Bruce Lee stories. <laughs> Um, he told me some really interesting stuff about Bruce Lee. Maybe I'll even do a podcast just on the stuff Steve Golden sick. told me, right? Um, but uh, one of the things I know from Big Sean, Steve Golden didn't tell me this, is that Steve Golden was stationed in Okinawa in the early 60s. And he later actually made his way into Hong Kong. And this is years before he learned from Bruce Lee. And he went, oddly enough, to the school of Lok Chi Fu, who I mentioned earlier in the yeah. podcast, the white crane guy. And then, like I said, that's a whole story for another podcast. But supposedly, while he was stationed in Okinawa, he went and visited some traditional karate schools. He, uh, Steve Golden was already learning Kenpo karate from Ed Parker. All right. And Steve Golden knew Dan Asanto because Dan Asanto was an Ed Parker black belt before he became Bruce Lee's student. That's why Ed Parker didn't really like Bruce Lee later. They were friends, mm. but then at one point, Ed Parker lost a bunch of students to Bruce Lee. Including Dan Inosanto, wow. who apparently Dan Inosanto was like his head his instructor head at one dude, of his schools. Yeah. And then Steve Golden jumped ship and all these other guys jumped wow. ship, right? So, uh, but apparently the story was while Steve Golden was in Okinawa, he learned nunchucks from an, some Okinawan martial arts instructor. And then when he came back, he taught that to Dan Inosanto. Interesting. Okay. So... So even if Dan Asanto was the one who taught Bruce Lee, it was another one of Bruce Lee's students who may have taught Dan Asanto the nunchucks, or at least introduced it to him. Something. So the funny thing is, those are three seemingly conflicting stories, but all three of them could be true. Mm -hmm. Steve Golden could have learned some basic nunchuck stuff he got back from from his uh, time abroad and saw Dan Asanto and was like, hey, look at this. Isn't this kind of cool? And it might have just been real quick. Hey, check this out. Yeah, because you, and then, you just learned it. You right. want to teach it. Yeah, and then As Dan an Asanto thought it was kind of cool and then got into yeah. that. Later showed it to Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee saw some more. And then you see some kind of mix of because, you know, it's never as simple as one person taught some person 
everything, mm-hmm. right? Okay. People get a little from here, a little from there. They have their own intuition. They practice stuff or whatever. And, you know, they, they, we, you have to kind of look at all these stories like the movie Rashomon. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an occurrence. I got to see that movie. All right? But now let's say you have seven different witnesses to a story or five different witnesses to a story and they tell you what happened. You're going to get five different stories because everyone is limited by their perspective and what they saw, which is not complete. Hmm. So that's why I'm trying to collect as many stories as I can, not to see if one is right or one is false, but to see like maybe there's a small bit of truth in all of them and you have to kind of put them together to figure out what's what. But uh, long story That's short, deep. nunchucks suck. All right, okay. So next, <laughs> That's next your story. question. Next and question. you're sticking with it. Yeah. Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. If you're a Wing Chun practitioner, especially from the WT or Learning line, and want to get really personalized immersion training with me, you can now apply to do an immersion course with me here in NYC, or if you like the sun, in my Florida home near Orlando. These courses are for instructors or anyone who's serious about learning the art in detail and working hard. I teach in program blocks like Siunam Tao, Chamkyu, Buji, Wooden Dummy, and those include the Chi Sao Theory, Fighting Applications, and Training Methods as well. If you're really serious about learning Wing Chun, check out the link in the description below to find out about applying for a spot. For those of you who are not quite ready to do full private immersion training, you can also apply for a spot at either our winter or summer intensive training camps. We have a few spots available for non-city Wing Chun students, so apply today. A link for those options are in the description below. And now back to me. All right, next up we got Southern Chain Puncher. Good. All right. Better than those Northern Chain Punchers. <laughs> kind of a Drayson hypothetical. I like how He's, he says it wrong, Drayson Well, he spelled it D-R-E-Y-S-O-N. Okay. Oh, all right, that's, all right. That's yeah. how you right, pronounce right. that. As opposed to spelling it the way your name is spelled, but to put together. Yeah, got it. Drayson? Yeah. Should I say a Drayson? Whatever. All right. You kind know of what a Drayson hypothetical. All right. For you. Yeah. Yeah. For me. me. Yeah. If Yip Man never came to Hong Kong, oh, do you think Wing Chun would have seen the light of day? Would there have been someone else to come along? Or was the combination of Yip Man and Bruce Lee a million to one chance that could never have been repeated? Mm. Ooh, this is a good That's a great Dreisen question. hypothetical. That's a well, one of the best no, Dreisen no, no. hypotheticals. Yeah, because it didn't come from Dreisen. <laughs> and because <laughs> it didn't have a super bullshit lead in. Man, and Dreisen. at the end, the question actually had some substance. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's very managed, unlike a Dreisen hypothetical. It's amazing how I managed to use someone else's question to somehow defend Dreisen. Yeah, exactly. He's worried yeah. that we're going to lose his spot on the. No, on you the see, podcast. it's written here. It is That's right what there. He's saying. Yeah. Someone yeah. else legitimizing him. Is yeah, that what it is? right. I, I'm, I have no. You're not legitimate. To Dreisen yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, you're yeah, you're no. like a, a pure Buddhist. No attachments. Yeah, no attachments. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, look, without if Yip Man had never come, then I, I Wing Chun, I don't think would be nearly as well known as it is right now. Damn, it might have become well known in some spots in China at some point, but I don't think it would have the same international acclaim because it's this kind of perfect storm of like the time period uh wing chun being kind of a practical style that forged itself through 
challenge fights and then Bruce Lee, you know, this like one in a million childhood actor who also liked to fight in martial arts and He's like came the to Joey the States. Lawrence of Hong Kong. Yeah, and then and then all of these things had to happen. I mean, no, if you take one element out of that, mm -hmm. the, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. So we certainly would not it be is in this a one room. In a million yeah, we certainly would not be anomaly. in this room having this podcast talking right. about this, right? Uh, who knows what would be in this room right now? Oh, whip! Some dude living up here. I don't think so. With a with a magazine store. Mm, yeah, it's back to the thirties again. <laughs> yeah. This building was built in nineteen twenty-two, so it's this building is one hundred years old. Years old. Yeah, but it's also interesting when you look at this building. I mean, first of all, when when I say stuff like that, Europeans are always like, "Ah, our buildings are thousands of years old." <laughs> <laughs> Good, good, good for you, buddy. Yeah. All right. Okay. Hey, uh, take it easy. Like, <laughs> oh, he's European. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, but I, I like, I, and I like how they like pretend that they individually can somehow take credit for that. I always forget British is European. No, not anymore. Oh, they oh just, and also the, the yeah. British. The British decided not to be European anymore. Idiots. We, we don't need that. We're our own thing. We're our own. <laughs> British bulldog ass. We're, yeah. we're, we're still an empire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're more or less, more or less. Empire. So, uh, yeah, no, without Yipman coming to Hong Kong. Wow. Uh, you know, no, I, tell, I tell you what. But no, what I want to say is think about this building being built in 1922. Right. Um, that would be, a t that would still be way before Yip Man came to Hong Kong. So this, this building has been around before Wing Chun was even known in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. All right, so if you think about it, it's it's the history so relatively short in terms of like how this stuff came to be. Although we think, okay, the 1950s a very long time ago, but in actuality, not really. And then you think about it, think of how much we're not sure about that happened in the 1950s and 1960s, 1970s. Who learned what? Mm. How did Yip Man teach? Who did he teach? Who did he like? Who did he didn't teach? And that's in. The, the, the history that's contained in the time that this building existed, right. okay? And now people wanted, someone asked in the, the comments the other day, how many students did Leung John have, right? <laughs> and, and you know what's funny is like, uh, I, you know, I'll just like the questions and then, uh, you know, you're the one that basically takes them or whatever, right? But sometimes before I have a chance, because I, I look at the comments once a day, I have an app on my phone, and I'll just kind of like, oh, uh, sometimes twice oh, a day in the morning, I'll look. A comment and I'll just, gatherer. Yeah, it's all the comments regardless of video. So it's all in one place. Oh, that's so so that's why I can just like look. I need that and then And then whenever I see like some batshit crazy angry comments, I go, must be on the drug letters video. <laughs> all right. Dude, why are you exposing Linda Lee's perjury like this? You better take yeah. that down. And then I comment. Is that a real comment? I, I, yeah, no, I actually had that comment. I go, I, I hear you. I've, I've taken this video down already. Yeah. While the video remains up. <laughs> all right. I do that all the time. I've, I've listened to your notes and I've re-edited the episode for you. And yeah, then I just leave it. Yeah. Of course. So uh, uh, think about like people argue about, you know, how long did so-and-so learned from Yip Man or how much did, you know, how much did the sons really learn from their father or all these kind of things. And this is in the past where we have a couple people who are still around and we have photos and stuff. And now you're going to tell me about with authority what happened in 1860. Mm. All right. When you cannot even tell me exactly uh, how long so-and-so learned in 1960 from Yip Man. 
all right? And so somebody asked, like, how many students did Larry John have? First of all, I don't know. I would have to ask Jim Rosalando, or I have to go back in my notes. I don't have that off the top of my head. Because I don't remember that fact, because I don't think anyone really knows it. So there are certain facts that I would have read or researched in a book that I will delete in my own head because I go, how, how the how hell How many is students it? did you have? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, I mean, at what point? Yeah. All together? Yeah. Over my entire teaching yeah. career yeah, to today? Or right now? Right. Or 10 years ago? How do you even answer that question, right? Yeah. You know, when some people say like, oh, Chan Mashan taught 13 people. Yep, 13 people over his entire teaching career. So you know what that means. At no point were there 13 people in one class. But in our yeah. mind, when someone says, oh, he had 13 students, what do you think? You think about 13 people in a class, and mm -hmm. Yip Man being the smallest one. No, no, no. Tan Rasan taught 13 people throughout his entire teaching career. Wow. So there were three people in the class, maybe at the time Yip Man was around, so right? So, uh, but someone asked, well, how many students did Leung John have, right? And I just liked the comment, meaning, oh, I'll get to it. I have to do some research. But then there was another guy who was like, he had eight students or four students, whatever the number was. Like, but said it as if, it, like, I'm asking you, what street did you grow up on? What street did you live on when you were 10? And you're like, I lived on this street. Uh -huh. It's like with that level of authority and confidence. And, and then I just had to chime in. I was like... Yeah, I can't possibly imagine how when we don't even know these kind of details for things that happen in the seeable past, uh, how someone knows this for a fact about something that happened in the Qing dynasty. Right? <laughs> now, I don't doubt that that person heard that number from someone or read it somewhere, but it doesn't mean it's true. How, mm. how does anyone know what that number is? How? All right, it's because all of the accounts of Leung Chan or who he taught are not from his own notes or his own books. They're from other people. And when you're already one degree of separation away from the person who it happened to, you already have to be very careful about it, right? It's like most of the, same thing like most of the gospels in the Bible were written by people who probably didn't even coexist with Jesus or, or lived away. Like, how are they going to know any of these things, right? These are not uh, contemporary accounts, right? But people will say, no, this is absolutely the way it is, right? Mm. So uh, that's the problem. So I always find it kind of funny because like, people are like, he had eight students. Okay, well, it's funny. It's like they get so angry about like, you know, like they need their information out. You need to know this, you ignoranus. So yeah, it's like weird. It's weird. Yeah. I tell you what, I can actually answer a question. What? You know, so if Yip Man hadn't, you know, come to uh, Hong Kong and we would still be here, all three of us, except you'd be a Tai Chi instructor. <laughs> that's so wild. Imagine, just imagine, that's, that's so the only wild. difference. Except I'd be, a tai, I'd be the Tai Chi genius. You'd be the Tai Chi genius. Yeah. Pushing hands all over the place. The tai yeah. Pushing everyone's hands. <laughs> Absolutely. Ruining yeah. yourself. Give me a hand. Shit. Push a hand. Either, either that or with, with a side of Xing Yi. Okay, he's getting his ass kicked he's after class. <laughs> All right, what's the next question? <laughs> Demonstrations. Yo, J.K.D. Charleston. All right, okay. J.K.D. Charleston. My man, my man. Yeah. Sifu Alex, your podcast is probably the best martial arts podcast I listen to. Wow, that's great. I have a fantasy scenario for you. Uh-huh. Sort of like a Dreisen. Hypothetical. 
place yourself in the role of Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon, but it's not a movie, it's real. Okay. Who would you pick for the roles of Roper and Williams? <laughs> Michael Jai White? Wesley Snipes? Eric Paulson? John Jacques Machado? Or Jean-Claude Van Damme? Okay, so Dre, wait, you're so, the man. Uh, hold on. Who? No, we don't need to hear any of that stuff. Uh, wait, so I'm so I'm living in the movie story, or I'm actually doing that adventure in real life, but I get to pick who those other characters are, or or I'm, I'm remaking those other the movie. people. Those are other real people, but they're movie stars. Well. If you think back to the plot of Enter the Dragon, uh-huh. Roper and Williams and their entire story and subplot mm-hmm. is kind of completely irrelevant to Bruce Lee's story. Damn. So, so if, if you didn't have Williams and Roper in Enter the Dragon, mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't actually change shit for Bruce Lee. Well, they, Be- because, you uh, kind of meet them at the uh, yeah. tournament. But Williams, like, he, he doesn't, like, snitch on Bruce Lee. Yeah, but so the only thing that's, the, the only, uh, I suppose, consequence of them being in the movie is that uh, Williams dies. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> no. snitches get stitches, yeah. right? Uh, and then, of course, Roper gets upset, and then Bruce Lee gets caught, right? When he's fighting the guards. But that has nothing to do with Williams' And Roper. Mm. So they're in there. Well, I mean, John Saxon's character is in there just partially because Warner Brothers <laughs> was afraid of Bruce Lee being yeah. Chinese, being Asian, not being able to carry a film on his own name. So they needed to put some other white guy so in there. So that's what Wesley kind of, Snipes is, if you pick Wesley Snipes? No, I think your, the thing in Wesley your... Snipes may be for Williams, right? Ah, so um, for John Claude Van Damme, you'll, you'll pick... Foot to carry your name. Like you're the Bruce Lee, Jean Claude is your John Saxon. I'm just saying. Uh, if you I don't know. John it would Claude be really funny to see John Saxon <laughs> and uh, was it Michael Jai White or Michael Jai White, Wesley Snipes, or Eric Wesley Paulson, Jean Jack McShadow, <laughs> or Jean Claude Van Damme? Those five. Uh, it would be really funny to have. Uh, two guys who really don't like each other. Mm-hmm. So I assume... Uh, oh, that would be funny. Yeah, you, almost like you have like Van Damme and Steven Seagal. Oh, that would be funny. <laughs> because they Great. have to pretend like they were old war buddies. Yeah. And then they, and they, they, they totally yeah, hate each other. That tension. That tension would be yeah. great. Oh. And then at the end, like the two actors just cannot get along. And during that final fight scene, like, they just, like, start fighting each other. Oh, you know, it'd be funny, like, because if, if Seagal had to play the Williams character, mm-hmm. he, he would never allow the script to uh, let Han kill him. Because that's, like, that's the most that's Steven Seagal, Seagal shit. Have you, here's something really funny you might not know about. about Do you know that Steven? Steven Seagal once hosted Saturday Night Live? Mm-hmm. I did not know and this. And it was the worst Saturday Night Live ever. It's be- terrible. I've it was seen terrible. It. You, I think you could see bits of it on. It's got to um, be in like the 80s, on YouTube. Right? No, it's in the nineties. In the nineties, early nineties. And he took himself so seriously. He didn't want to rehearse. 
he couldn't like ever lose or he couldn't be in roles that made him seem less than cool or perfect, like in sketches. And it's just, and he was just such a prick. So you imagine like you have to tell Steven Seagal like, oh, your character is going to get beat up by this old man <laughs> when you don't snitch on the Bruce Lee character. He'd be like, no way. My character would never die. <laughs> he, I mean, you watch any of Seagal's movies, even when he beats the big boss. Yeah. He rarely, rarely takes a hit. Like, yeah. he's, he's Superman. Yes. And that's always the problem, you know, because, uh, you know, if the main character never faces any adversity yeah. in the movie, then there's no tension, all right? You, the bad guy, you know, the good guy's got to be great and it's got to be powerful and all that kind of stuff. But there has to be a legitimate threat by the bad guy in order for a story to exist, all right? Shit. And... Life. truthfully that was a little bit of a problem with some of Bruce Lee's early movies but I think that Bruce Lee recognized that because when he was able to direct his own movie uh, that is Way the Dragon mm -hmm. or he had his own ideas for things like Game of Death or Lam Kuen Bak Toy those kind of films that he had kind of he was already starting to formulate the character does actually go through some adversity. I mean, think about like when he has the final fight with Chuck Norris in Way of the Dragon. Mm -hmm. He's fighting the same way he fought for the whole movie and Chuck is lighting him up. And then so he has to then start bouncing and moving around and adapting, right? And so and he took hits in that final scene. He didn't just like run over Chuck Norris, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess when he fights the big boss, he has some adversity because, of course, the big boss cheats and has knives and stuff like that. But uh, Bruce's, Bruce's character doesn't really develop much in any of his movies, in any of the movies that he finished. Mm -hmm. He's basically the same badass he was at the beginning, at the end. He doesn't really, his, his character doesn't go through any kind of process where he has to like learn the final move from his master. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Enter the Dragon in the mirror scene, he recalls the conversation with his abbot that he had at the beginning about yeah. mirrors and illusions. But what you also have to realize is that scene was cut out of the original theatrical release of Enter the Dragon. That wasn't in there. Uh, I don't ever remember seeing that movie without that scene. Right. Ever. I mean, obviously, I was not born when Enter the Dragon came out. So, if you're like me and you grew up watching the VHSs of Enter the Dragon from Warner Brothers, which was the old original print, that entire scene with the Abbot where he's walking and he's talking like, I oh, do not hit, it hits all by itself. The mirror scene is in it. Yeah, no, no. no. The mirror yeah, scene. No, the mirror scene is in it. What I'm talking Abbott. about. Okay, in the Abbot talking. That, but him. also in the mirror scene. Mm. he has a flashback where he recalls what the abbot said. Okay. That's not in the original. The mirror scene, of course, yes. The mirror scene is always there. All right, but uh, there's, there's a scene that he has after he, um, he wins at the Shaolin Temple at yeah. first where he's walking with the abbot. Yeah. That scene is not in the original Enter the Dragon. Ouch. They cut that out because Warner Brothers thought it was too... Preachy. To preachy, right? Wow. And also, that's why when you hear it, it's not Bruce Lee's original voice. He didn't dub it because that was cut out. They have someone else doing yeah, his voice. voice. All right. And then, <laughs> yo. And then at the very end, when he's fighting Han, and Han is using all the mirrors to kind of hide. Uh -huh. uh, there's there's 
a scene that they put back in where he kind of looks up and he hears the abbot saying like, you know, destroy the image. You're, you're an opponent. It's just an illusion or an image. And if you destroy the image, you destroy your opponent. And that's when he gets the inspiration to start breaking the mirrors mm -hmm. so that Han can't use them to hide. Right. But that little uh, callback and that scene, those were added later uh, when they re-released Enter the Dragon. Um, but those were not in there originally, right? Um, but anyway, yeah, I have no idea how to answer that question. All right, well, <laughs> we got time for one more. This, this was a two-part. Oh, two-parter. What else? Yeah, we Dre, Dre, you're the man. Who did you train JKD with? Who even cares? Yeah, exactly. Who it's JKD Charleston. He's okay. a JKD guy. He wants to know, like. I, I, I think J.K.D. Charleston sounds like a fantastic man. I think his name sounds like a martial arts 20s dance. J.K.D. Charleston? No, I think he teaches J.K.D. in Charleston. No, I get that. But you have to go visit Like him. everyone, do the Charleston Chew, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like a coordinated team Charleston dance. Charleston Chew. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember Charleston, Charleston Chews? Chews. Oh, you ever have Charleston Chew? Yes. You ever put it in put the... the... Charleston Chew dance? Yeah, you ever put it in the refrigerator? Yes. Yeah, and then it gets all hard Chewy. and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's so it's great. It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Those things were long, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how many calories in one of those things, man? Pulling it for days. <laughs> yeah, you ate that shit when you were a kid, no problem. Um, uh, Danny Anderson. Danny Anderson, Danny that's Anderson what you did Jeet Kune Do for. was my awesome. JKD teacher. And uh, this was when he was teaching on 28th Street, which no, no, if you're from New York City... Uh, you would know, but it it was a cool cool yeah. spot. Yeah, um, a few blocks down, and yeah, that and he was, was big. He used to advertise a lot. You used yeah. to see him everywhere. Yeah, yeah, he he was definitely in that in that school, or not that school, that that store on Sixth uh, Avenue. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The uh, the flyers you right, always right, see right, there, right. big time. Um, yeah, and that awesome. was ages ago. Cool. So we have another question. All right, next up, Luis. Cruz. All right. We've okay. had him before. He's asked questions before. Cool. Cruz with, with a K. Yeah. 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 You're right. I know. I know like, all things. Like Crush. Like yes. Crush. Groove just with a K. a little Crush. No, no, no. That's Crush. That's with a C. God, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. Let's go. Sifu Richter. I've been watching some of the Joey Chen videos. Oh, Jesus. Now I'm really <laughs> he, uncomfortable. He makes a claim. He makes a lot of claims about his friendship with Bruce Lee. I find most of it hard to believe, and his rambling, incoherent presentation does not help him. Has anything he said ever verified by anyone? Or has ever been verified by anyone? Mm. What can you tell us about Joey Chen? <laughs> I love these questions. Okay. So I, I can't really say much about Joey Chen. Uh, for those who don't know who Joey Chen is, there's a series of photographs that, that, um, that Bruce Lee is in. Mm -hmm. And they're on the set of Enter the Dragon. In fact, they're in Han's armory. That room where, you know, he's got all the weapons and the hang. You know, the room where he takes John Saxon in... And it's the room where uh, Han and Bruce Lee fight before they go into the mirror room. So it, it looks like a museum. Yeah. So uh, there, there are a bunch of photos, and it's, in that, it's on that movie set. And uh, it's Bruce, and uh, he's seeing Wong Sun Leung, who came to visit him, and Wong Sun Leung Sun Wan Kam Leung, who's one of my friends. 
and they kind of came on the set and then they shot some test footage, mm-hmm. right? And you can see some of this stuff on YouTube where Wong Sung is sparring with Joey Chen and Joey Chen was there. And Joey Chen was kind of playing a Bruce Lee style character. So I think Bruce Lee's actually filming. And then Joey Chen, who's a skinny, skinny looking dude, very similar body type, like similar to Bruce Lee. And he's kind of moving around with Wong Sun Leung and kind of bobbing like Bruce Lee a little bit. Uh And then they have this kind of like, seems like some kind of impromptu uh, little kind of sparring back and forth, whatever, right? And they do some test shots and there's some photos there. And so Joey Chen, I believe, was a stuntman. Uh, maybe a low-level actor, and somehow he came into Bruce Lee's orbit, from what I understand, really in that final year of Bruce Lee's life. Gotcha. All right? So this isn't, we're not talking about someone who's like a long-standing Bruce Lee buddy or something like that. So I don't know how long Joey Chen and Bruce Lee kind of knew each other, right? But obviously they did know each other, some photos, and that photo shoot, I'm sure there are more, and maybe Joey Chen was also an extra in Enter the Dragon, but I can't say, because I, I don't know that much about Joey Chen. I just know that he's in those photos in that one video spot with Wong Sun Leung. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Sivu David Peterson, another uh, uh, a good friend and friend of the podcast, huge supporter of us on uh, Patreon, and... Uh, he, like, last year sent me a Facebook message. And he's like, uh, he's like, hey, Alex, have you seen these Joey Chen videos? And so Joey <laughs> Chen now is on YouTube. He's got a YouTube channel. And he basically just puts a camera in his face, which is a weird format. <laughs> and he just kind of prattles on about, like, saying Bruce Lee stories. Mm. But he kind of sits there, and it's one of those things where, like, he's pretending he's being interviewed, but, you know, it's just him in his room by himself. <laughs> All right, it's very Ashita Kim like where he would oh, pretend yes. to be interviewed, right, by someone, but it's just really him looking off camera, that's, that's talking to himself, Kim asking shit. himself questions. And so, Joey, so I've watched a few of those because these things kind of fascinate me. Oh, yeah. someone who knew Bruce Lee is like talking about stuff. But some of the stuff that Joey says is kind of batshit crazy. So, Joey believes that Raymond Chow is responsible for Bruce Lee's death. Mm. And then when and obviously he knew Raymond Chow because he was an actor or had worked for Golden Harvest or something like that. But then you go down the winding path that's Joey Chen's explanation. What? And it's just a meandering conspiratorial salad of hot nonsense. And, and there's, he says certain things where you go, oh, I kind of feel... I kind of think I know why he's talking like this. He's bitter. Because there's one story where he goes, oh, you know, the beginning of Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee fights, you know, Sammo Hung, right? And everyone knows who Sammo Hung is. Because Sammo Hung, at that time, wasn't very famous, but he was already coming up. But since then, Sammo Hung is like one of the, you know, if you have a, a Mount Rushmore of Hong Kong action stars, yeah. Sammo Hung is up there with Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. Yeah. No doubt about it. Who would fulfill those other couple spots there? That can be debated. But Sammo Hung, certainly Lao Ka Lao. It would be a very big Mount Rushmore, by the way. They'd have to be at least seven people on there, right? Sammo Sammo Hung would be on there, all right? Not just because of his skills as an actor, but as as a choreographer, everything. Sammo Hung is an absolute OG. And Joey Chen is like, so everyone knows who Sammo Hung is. And if you didn't know him then, you know him now. And, Sam, and Joey Chen goes like, at the beginning of Enter the Dragon, Bruce is supposed to fight a Shaolin monk. And that was supposed to be me. 
But Raymond Chow didn't go with me, and instead at the last m uh, minute, they hired that fat guy. <laughs> okay? Wow. First, first of all, wow. Well, everyone knows Sammo Hung is kind of fat, overweight, or whatever, but that's always been his charm. Yeah. He can do everything Jackie Chan can do, but with his frame, yeah. and in my opinion, better. And Sammo Hung is a way yeah. better character and heart than Jackie Chan, in my opinion. But at this point, no one would ever say that fat guy, <laughs> right? So you go like, okay, so maybe Joey Chen was up for this little role. Unless they're talking about Steven Seagal. Right? And then he's not a little fat guy. He's a big fat guy now. <laughs> so, they, they, you know, so Joey Chen was maybe up for that role fighting Bruce at the opening of the movie. And then they opted to go with Sammo. And then he said something because uh, Joey is also kind of skinny and ripped. Yeah. So maybe it would look like they were too similar. So they needed to get some of the. But you could see like 50 freaking years later, he's still salty about that. Look, man, if I lost a job to someone 40 years ago and that changed my career, maybe not for the best. At some point, bro, you got to let that shit go. You got because life is like that. All right. The conflict between what is and what we want it to be is a daily thing. And if you're still holding on to this shit 50 years later, you didn't get a role with Bruce Lee because Sammo got it and you're still salty about that. I'm sorry. You're kind of a piece of shit in my book. You need to get over that. It's not very manly Damn. to be bitching about something that happened 50 years ago. Dude, get over it. All right. And so you cannot help but think that everything he has to say about Raymond Chow is filtered through the salt of him not getting that role that went to Sammo. Mm. So then you start to go, mm. and then he just rambles on and on and on, way worse than me, all right? It just goes nowhere. And then he says all this stuff, like at the time of Bruce Lee's death, they were, were, were going to shoot a movie with uh, Charles Bronson. He says a lot of interesting stuff which may be true, it might be half true. But I would need to sit down with someone like a Matt Pauly, someone yeah. who's done some of that research, and go like, how much of what he's saying is true? Because that, that I don't really know. He seems just kind of like someone who just needs to get over something. Because look, if, if Joey Chen uh -huh. and not Sam Hung played that opening role of the monk, Joey Chen's career still would not have done anything. Sammo Hung, if he did not fight Bruce Lee at the beginning of Enter the Dragon, I'm telling you, would still be the Sammo Hung that we know. Because oh, that was man. just a one-day gig for him. Yeah. He had done stuff before that, and he did stuff after that. All right? As cool as it is that Bruce Lee fought Sammo Hung or Sammo Hung fought Bruce Lee, Sammo Hung would be Sammo without that movie. Joey Chen, still Sammo. Joey Chen would have been that opening monk, and no one would have known him. Because you know what? Sammo Hung is not even in the credits of Enter the Dragon. I actually only realized after seeing that movie numerous times recently. That, that was Sam Hung. Yeah, as a kid, like, I didn't know that until later. Yeah, yeah. It was much, much later. Yeah. I knew him from everything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the thing is that because Warner Brothers only put certain actors on the credits, none of, most wow. of those, the extras didn't get any, didn't get their names in there. Sam Hung is not even in the credits of Enter the Dragon, all right? So Joey Chen thinks that that would have been the thing that would have made him huge, all right? <laughs> Sam Hung became huge because he's fucking awesome. And he was awesome before Enter the Dragon. And he became even more fucking awesome after it and not because of it, all right? Damn. So Joey Chen needs to relax his fucking salt 
And that's all I gotta say about that. Okay, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, if you have questions that you want me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write those in the comments below. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, and share it on your social media. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Um, he... Weird Al Yankovic's character. Uh... What? In the... Hold on. We need to pause for a moment. We need to... This dude just spilled... No, no, leave it recording. Okay. Uh, so we'll do... This dude oh, spilled wow. coffee all over the place. Jeez. Andrew, this is definitely going in the bloopers. No! You know the cool thing about you spilling coffee? Is this isn't the studio. This is the martial arts training floor. Here you go, Andrew. I'm even doing a little video I'm going to send to you myself so you can just... You should use the regular paper towels. Those are for drying hands in the bathroom. You spilling coffee everywhere has caused an inconvenience. An inconvenience. Sorry to inconvenience you, Dre. Yo, Dre, come over here, come over here. Yo, Dre, come over here. Yo, Dre, there was already paper towels right there by the AC. <laughs> Like I said, I didn't see them. Yeah. Yeah. Those towels are for the students. Jesus Christ. We're professional. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We need some Jeopardy music. Jesus. I'll have anal bum cover. Anal bum covers for 400, please. You ever see those commercials like, uh, with like 30% more towels in every roll, right? Dre's like, he uses about 80% more than he needs. You could, you could, I don't know, feed hungry children with the amount of paper towels that he used here. I don't know how, but some, somehow the resources that he took using all those paper towels means that about 100 kids have gone without any food for the next 10 years. Fuck yen. Fuck yen. Two hours later. All right, we ready? So what the hell were we talking about? Okay, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, if you have questions for me to answer, write them in the comments below. Don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, share it. Sizzle share it. All right, here we go. Do it one more time. I got the Dre's. Lots of Grandmaster Yip Man using the Grandmaster card. No, that's not what we said. What an asshole. Lots of gems. Lots of... Yip Man. Should we say Grandmaster? No, we can't say Grandmaster Yip Man. Lots of Yip Man using the Grandmaster card. Using his Grandmaster card. Grandmaster. Grandmaster. Grandmaster card. Have you mastered the martial arts? <laughs> yes. All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Lots of Yip Man using his Grandmaster card. Lots of... Hey, Joey Chen. That fat guy, 
He's Sammo Hung, and he's always been better than you. Lots of gems, <laughs> lots of, what the hell? What? What's the hell? What was that? What, the what did you do? You <laughs> got it fine. You, did. you were fine, and then you fucked it up in the end. What did you do? What, what the fuck was that? You know, we have a clips channel now, and everyone's like, yo, we want like all of Dre's fuck ups. That'd be like an not, eight hour long clip. I was going to say, that's on the long form channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for the long form channel. All right, let's go. All right, peeps. What a dick. <laughs> Jimmy, do you understand? This is like a weekly thing with this guy. All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Bacon by Kamada.